Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, dairy farmer Eamon Sheehan and Roisin Horn from Chagas give insight into the staggering rise of antimicrobial resistance among animal and human populations and key practices to minimise the risk of AMR in your herd. So um, I suppose antimicrobials are, are agents or, or drugs that either kill or, or stop the growth of, of microorganisms. And <clears throat> I suppose when we talk about microorganisms, we're referring to um, the likes of bacteria, viruses and, and fungi. And I suppose all of these um, have the potential to cause infection and disease in both um, animals and, and humans. Um, and I suppose onto that as well, antimicrobials are, are grouped based on the microorganisms that they target. So, for example, um, antibiotics are, are a type of antimicrobial and they're used against, um, against bacteria. And I suppose all micro, antimicrobials have, um, I suppose, a central role in protecting human and, and animal health. Um, and I suppose to, to follow on to that and to talk about the whole issue of um, AMR or anti- antibiotic um, resistance, um, here we're usually talking about um, antibiotic resistance. So that's the ability of, of bacteria to change. And I suppose as a result, the antibiotic which previously worked is now ineffective against this bacteria and in treating the particular disease or infection. And a follow on from that, Roisin, uh, you, you mentioned AMR and it's something that uh, dairy farmers are becoming more familiar with and the, the conversation about AMR within dairy systems is happening. Um, you know, you mentioned in particular it's AMR in relation to antibiotics. And, you know, why is this such a relevant conversation and why are we hearing about it more and more? suppose it's so important because um, it means that the number of anti- antibiotics that we have at our disposal um, is is decreasing um, you know and on on dairy farms the availability and the use of antibiotics is is vital in say protecting animal health and welfare um, it also maintains productivity and it also ensures the production of of safe food so if antibiotics lose their effectiveness there will be a lack of suitable medicines that farmers can avail of <clears throat> and that would make common issues such as the likes of you know a case of pneumonia or mastitis for example harder if not um, impossible to treat and um, you know this ultimately then has knock-on effects on on farm profitability and um, and as a result of um, a loss in productivity um, and I suppose it's it's important to also mention here that um, you know resistant bacteria that arise in animals humans or even in the environment can can spread from um, one to the other. So there is various means by, by which that can happen. And I suppose just to give um, some, some examples, it can happen through, say, direct contact um, with animals. So literally through hands-on interactions with, with livestock, people can acquire um, resistant bacteria. Um, also through the consumption of food. So uh, sometimes resistant bacteria can end up on, on food products um, when they're handled or when um, under undercooked food is is consumed, and I suppose um, another pathway then is the environment where um, where resistant bacteria can be transmitted through, say, animal manure that's spread across land as fertilizer, or which is say excreted by um, by animals um, when they're when they're grazing. 
and I suppose uh, resistant bacteria can enter soil or, or groundwater um, in that way. Um, and I suppose in addition, in addition to this as well, uh, many antibiotics um, that are used to treat, say, bacterial diseases in animals are also used in, in human medicine. So uh, really, as, as a result of the ability of uh, resistant bacteria to spread between animals, humans and the environment, and um, because of the crossover between antibiotics used in, say, animal health and, and human medicine, um, what happens on, on farm has an effect elsewhere. So if we take, for example, a particular antibiotic that is used on a dairy farm and resistant bacteria develop, I suppose this can um, spread and have consequences um, in terms of, of human health. And I suppose just to briefly mention um, some of those consequences. So antibiotics in human um, medicine is, is crucial for the treatment of um, different infectious diseases and in surgical procedures. Um, so if, <clears throat> if antibiotics stop working, uh, simple infections such as a sore throat, for example, um, could potentially become fatal and routine surgeries and, and key treatments would become um, very high risk. And I suppose without, um, without effective uh, antibiotics in, in human medicine, you're looking at things like maybe treatment failure, um, prolonged recovery time, and I suppose ultimately um, increased mortality rates. And I suppose this isn't an issue that we may encounter into the future. Um, this is uh, something that's currently happening uh, right now. And I suppose <clears throat> at the moment, uh, globally, um, AMR is responsible for you know, 700,000 deaths per year. And I suppose without um, any further action, and if um, AMR continues to, to spread at, at current levels, um, that's estimated to increase to, to 10 million by, by 2050. So I suppose, um, you know, there is really a need for a collective um, approach to, to tackling AMR um, because uh, antibiotic resistance affects everyone. It's not just a, a particular or a separate problem, say, in, in animal health um, compared to, to human health. Um, there is crossover and it is the, the one issue. I think that that has provided some really interesting context um, at the outset of, of this conversation. And as you say, the practices on individual dairy farms, you know, collectively that can have an impact on AMR, both for from an animal and a human perspective. To take a step back, Eamon, and to uh, before we get into the conversation of AMR with you, um, could you give us a little bit of information about yourself, uh, your dairy farming at home? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I'm dairy farming here in Cuffs Grange in County Kilkenny, and um, I'm still holding on to the new entrant title, I suppose. We changed over from suckler farming in 2013 and began milking that spring. And um, we're running, I suppose, we've, we've, um, we're running a 200 cow dairy herd there now uh, that we've increased over the last number of years. Um, I suppose where my interest um, kind of spurred originally, I was at an Animal Health Ireland um, conference there one day in Kildalton in, in 2013. And uh, Dr. Ingrid uh, Lawrence um, was talking and she was focusing on the, the scouring calf and how to treat it. I suppose what struck with me at that point was a drug that I've been using for years that was unbeknown to me was doing a lot of damage to the intestine of the scouring calf. So I suppose that's where I, I got my, my interest spurred from that. And 
I suppose not only was that bolus, um, it was killing all the bad bacteria that was in the gut, but it was also, um, you know, killing, destroying all the good bacteria and it was leaving that gut flora in, in a very poor state long term. And um, after I left that meeting that day, I suppose I was wondering what else I thought I was doing right that was actually causing harm and had adverse effects uh, long term in regard to herd health. And I began, um, I began looking into um, you know why and when I used treatments and um, what was the what was the outcome and what was the correct way to uh, treat livestock and, and improve animal husbandry. And I suppose that day as well, what I learned afterwards was that you know eighty-five to ninety percent of scours are actually non-bacterial, and I was using oral antibiotics, and um, I've been using the wrong drug all along for the wrong condition, you know, for as long as I could remember. And um, after that, um, I you know I, I suppose we we improved our course of action with with our young stock, and um, as our dairy herd increased, um, I went down the route of selective dry cow treatment, and um, you know, I think it's, I've just moved on gradually uh, over the years, uh, basing my, my herd health at the, at the forefront. Looking then, um, you know, you, you, you didn't just, I suppose, rest on your laurels, Eamon. Um, you know, you sought out some information, you made some changes to your practices. But interestingly, you also did a significant study um, on the topic of AMR in terms of a Nuffield scholarship. Um, I suppose we've spoken to some fellow Nuffields um, that that you'd be aware of in the past. Um, in the past on 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 this show, um, Ed Payne, um, Carl Kassan. Um, but can you give us some information about your particular study and maybe some of the learnings from our international counterparts? Yeah, um, I suppose I, I was fortunate to to receive a Nuffield scholarship in in 2017, and it allowed me to um, to travel the world really and and um, learn a lot along the way. And um, I suppose the issue of of antibiotics, uh, well, antibiotic usage in agriculture and its impact, um, as as Roshin has stated already, um, it's been recognised by the World Health Organization as part of its global plan action. You know. And um, as being as being a um, greater threat uh, than cancer, so it's quite a scary one uh, from that perspective. And um, I suppose what I what I learned along the way is that um, a lot of usage of drugs um, on farms, you know, they're true prophylactic use. And um, you know, when when a lot of the sectors, especially the pig and the poultry sector, um, took a step back and decreased their usage of antibiotics, um, it just showed that. Antibiotics were being used more so as a crutch rather than a necessity. Um, a lot of the areas I, that, that I saw most significant improvements on my travels were probably through the, the pig and the poultry industry. But I also got the opportunity um, in Europe to see, you know, the likes of the Dutch who had taken on selective dry cow therapy um, a lot earlier than, than uh, we had at home. Um, you know, they, they had done it um, without any really adverse, uh, significant issues uh, being, being caused by it. And one of the areas where they were ahead of us is that, you know, their milk recording from the early 1950s was basically comparable to what we were in 2018 in, um, in uptake. So all that information that the Dutch farmers had at hand allowed them to make these decisions based on um, information that was readily available to them. Now, we had always been um, 
I suppose we'd be always been uh, been milk recording over the last number of years, and it gave me uh, the confidence, I suppose, to to uh, milk to um, use selective trike cow therapy an awful lot more. I'd started in 2016, I suppose, with cows of um, maybe a threshold of 50,000 of a cell count or less. And uh, after coming back from, from Holland and seeing what they'd done, um, you know, cows with a, you know, a cell count of 200,000 or less over the, um, over the, the four or five tests that I did throughout the year, um, I was confident enough to use selective dry cow therapy on them also. Um, now it's not for the faint-hearted, and uh, you know the the big the biggest issue that uh, is you know around all of this is is hygiene, and you have to be I suppose surgically clean in in that regard. And I wouldn't advise anyone just to go down the down the route of um, using sealer only without consulting their vet or even on the basis of speaking with the Animal Health Ireland because they had a, a pilot uh, scheme, which um, is you know is offering vets advice to farmers uh, free of charge. So that's that's definitely a priority before anyone would consider that route. Outside of, um, say, you know, you, you've mentioned, um, I suppose, other enterprises like pigs and poultry. Um, you know, you're also talking about um, selective dry cow therapy, you know, something that, you know, we're, we're aware of. Looking then to other practices, is there anything um, else interesting that you saw, um, you know, internationally that, you know, in ways they're simple farm practices, but it's something that we would miss on our own farms day to day, like we wouldn't necessarily see the problem. Yeah, well, I suppose most of the, the farms that I saw, they were really on top of their game. What they had from the very start was, a, you know, a very a, a, a vaccination protocol that was um, organised alongside their vets. And, you know, as we've seen, I suppose, over the last two years, uh, the importance of, of vaccination um, to, to herd health um, is, is massive. And it really, it, it takes a lot of the issues away without having to do um, a whole lot less. Um, the most important thing, I suppose, when it comes down to vaccination is, is the correct vaccination protocol. And especially for your young stock uh, to get them in on the correct programs. And I think a lot of the time um, vaccines are they're used sporadically when there's an issue on farm, you know, no matter what you have to spend, you're going to use it. And then because you haven't had that issue for a couple of years that um, I suppose you tend to lose track of um, why and when you're, you're vaccinating. And again, you know, there's uh, there's a fire fire starts with uh, some form of uh, breakdown in herd health and just we can't afford these issues going forward but one of the one of the good areas that I saw that's available and for for any farmer setting out uh, MSD have a, a herd health vaccination calendar and you can put in your vaccination program into um, this calendar as free of charge and then throughout the year You'll get a text message to remind you of when you need to vaccinate. So it's it's a very good idea to keep that in in um, in your mind. And also just simple measures like setting up um, calendars um, in your farm office about when your vaccination program should uh, should be followed up on. Um, one of the other areas um, that came to mind as well is I noticed a, an influx of um, 
how monitoring on on my travels and uh, everything from pedometers to to collars on cows and you know a lot of these um a lot of this technology is capable of giving you the information of when a cow is on her way down before she's actually sick you know so you can get in there early with likes of anti-inflammatories and fluids and uh, i think fluids are often um underestimated in their ability to resolve a lot of issues um health issues in stock before it actually becomes a problem and I guess, um, you know, I, I've heard this and I think it, it came from the ICBF, um, Eamon, and, and I guess it's in line with what you're talking about. But, you know, genetics um, creates potential um, in terms of what an animal can achieve, whether it's growth or milk production. Um, you know, management can realise that potential, but essentially disease and sickness in animals destroys it. And, and you know, when, when you refer to, you know, the overall herd health and, and creating a plan with the likes of your vet or Animal Health Ireland, you know, therefore you're reducing the risk of that disease and helping animals achieve their potential through, I suppose, proactive management as opposed to reacting to sickness. Um, To you, Roisin, um, you know, from from your knowledge, can you identify where you see the main areas um, on dairy farms in relation to practices and disease that can lead to resistance of antimicrobials? Yeah, so I suppose when we're looking at um, what causes um, this resistance, I suppose it's important first to look at um, and understand how um, how AMR or how this resistance resistance occurs. Um, so if we take, for example, again, our, our sick animal on the farm uh, and we use antibiotics to, to treat this animal, um, so the bacteria that is responsible for causing this illness or, or disease um, is exposed to that particular antibiotic when, when we use it um, to treat our, our sick um, animal. And I suppose um, while antibiotics, while this antibiotic would kill most of the harmful bacteria responsible uh, for the, this particular illness, um, some bacteria may survive. And I suppose <clears throat> the bacteria that survive are, are resistant bacteria, and these can go on to multiply and create um, a new population of, of bacteria that are then more resistant and, and more, um, more difficult to treat. Um, so I suppose, therefore, really, any time antibiotics are, are used on farm, there is a risk that resistant bacteria can develop and antibiotics um, become less effective. But I suppose it's it's particularly the, the overuse or the misuse of antibiotics um, that speeds up this process. Um, so the, the more we use antibiotics, the more chances um, bacteria have to become um, resistant to them. So like when we talk about um, misuse, we're talking about things like maybe a farmer treating um, a disease in an animal that's caused by a bacteria that's not susceptible to a particular antibiotic. Um, or if we're using antibiotics to treat diseases that are caused by viruses and other germs that are not going to be susceptible either. Um, also things like, you know, the blanket use or the routine use of antibiotics, um, underdosing with antibiotics or not finishing um, the treatment of antibiotics. So all of these, um, all of these factors or all of these things will increase the risk of resistance developing as a result of increased exposure of um, of bacteria to, to antibiotics. Um, but I think it's also important um, just to be clear and, and just to say that it's not, um, it's not that farmers should never use um, antibiotics. It's, um, it's of course important 
from an animal uh, welfare point of view to treat a sick uh, animal with antibiotics if, if they require um, if they require it. Um, but it's more important of how antibiotics are, are being used and I suppose keeping um, antibiotics uh, for this purpose. Um, and I suppose as well as that, um, not all antibiotics um, are the same either. There is certain classes of antibiotics that are more important than others. Um, and the reason that they're more important is that they're, I suppose, reserved for use in, in human medicine um, because of their ability to treat um, serious infections, um, which have become unresponsive um, to other antibiotics. And I suppose these are, are stronger antibiotics and they're considered um, as drugs of, of last resort. Um, and what they're usually referred to is um, highest priority, critically important antimicrobials or HP um, CIAs. And I suppose a small amount of these are also used on farms, but I suppose given their importance to, to human health, um, it's important that their, their use on farm is, is limited. Yes, this is this is absolutely fascinating. But I guess a couple of points, Roisin, that you've mentioned, it echoes a lot of what Eamon has said. And I think if, if we focus and we think about our own farm situation and I suppose your starting point there, it can be overuse or misuse. And a classic example, if we think about a dairy farm is a cow has a, has mastitis and are we using the correct tube um, to treat the strain of mastitis? And then again, um, you know, you mentioned uh, an animal has a viral infection. You know, are you using the correct course of treatment? And it, it is all about, you know, educating ourselves and, and linking up with, I suppose, the relevant experts. And in a lot of cases, it can be our vet and, and, and indeed, um, you know, people like the AHI and there, they, there are really good resources that are available to people. I suppose the second point then is, you know, following a course of treatment, um, you know, if it's if it's three days, the animal is to be treated for, do it for the three days. If they seem better after the second day, you know, that you don't just stop it there. Um, talk, talk through, Roisin, maybe if you have two or three top tips in terms of um, steps to prevent um, resistance to antimicrobials on specific farms, like what would you recommend? When we look at reducing AMR on, on farm, um, we're really looking back to the cause of AMR. And I suppose we know that it develops through antibiotic usage. So, you know, if we have a healthy herd, healthy animals on the farm, um, that is going to reduce the need for, for antibiotics. And I suppose that's going to reduce the risk of, of AMR um, developing. So, you know, having, um, I suppose, healthy animals um, is going to be a key prevention measure in, in reducing um, the development of, of AMR. And I suppose that just relates back to some of the things that were mentioned earlier um, in terms of having um, an effective vaccination program on farm and building up the immunity of, of the animals on farm as a result. Um, and, you know, also things maybe around um, good biosecurity measures, um, minimizing animal stress, which uh, we know stress in animals will, will depress their immune system and make them more susceptible um, to disease. And again, like things like good, um, good farm hygiene to minimize um, exposure um, of animals to various, I suppose, bacteria or viruses, which have the potential um, to cause disease um, and illness. <clears throat> and I suppose, you know, if there is a need for antibiotics um, to be used on farm, there is some 
I suppose, um, important points there. And there is some recommendations around, I suppose, what, what's the mindful use or what's referred to as the as the prudent um, the prudent use of, of antibiotics. So, you know, um, things like getting a, a correct um, diagnosis and, and using the right medicine. So, you know, what's causing the disease or the illness and what's going to be the most effective treatment. Um, and things like, you know, administering at the correct dose rate for the correct duration um, and finishing out that, uh, that treatment course. And also, I suppose, treating the, the correct animals. So that might uh, <clears throat> seem pretty straightforward, but, you know, is it only the animal um, that's suffering for, from the disease that needs to be treated? Or has there been other animals in contact with that, with that sick animal that might require treatment in order to, to, um, to prevent um, prevent a, a disease outbreak. So I suppose the key thing is, I suppose, overall animal health. Um, but I suppose if antibiotics are required um, to be used, that they're used, I suppose, um, prudently and, and in, the, in the correct way to prevent um, the buildup of, the, of antimicrobial resistance. And to follow on from that point and based on the prevention steps that Roisin has mentioned to you, Eamon, you know, what has changed on your farm in the last two or three years to achieve that, you know, healthy animal um, preventing disease and I suppose being proactive, you know, where there is illness on farm? I suppose, uh, Emma Louise, that one of the main areas, they're, they're all just the basics, really, when you look at it. And, you know, apart from the, the hygiene and biosecurity uh, side of things, and like, well, I suppose the biosecurity is very important. You know, how often do you see farmers coming from marts or coming onto your farm and no farmer should be allowed into your farm without having clean, if clean attire, disinfecting. And it's just, you know, take take a leaf out of the likes of the, the pig and poultry side of things there. You know, you wouldn't have access to any of their um, their farms without um, showering and, and changing. We don't need to be that strict, but just basic hygiene would be a good start. And um, vaccination is probably one of the main areas that we can focus on. And speak to your vet, um, if you have an issue on farm, test and find out what the issue is and resolve it through vaccination protocols. And uh, the dry cow period, uh, the diet for your dry cow is so important on the basis that when she calves down that she's producing really good quality colostrum. And um, then from the time that she does calf, getting that colostrum into your calf within the first couple of hours of life. And a simple thing like using a bricks refractometer, you know, it's, it's telling you the quality of the colostrum that you're putting into your calf um, but it's also, if your colostrum quality is poor, it's also showing you that your dry cow diet isn't adequate. Um, also, the, the storage of your colostrum, whether you're, you know, if you're, if you're going to use it, it needs to be cooled rapidly after being uh, milked from the cow. Uh, or if you're going to freeze it, it needs to be frozen uh, soon afterwards as well. You know, often you see colostrum sitting around in a bucket all day and being used the following night or the following day. Um, small simple areas like that you're starting your calf off to a really good start in life um one of the other areas that i got involved in maybe this spring as well is uh, tommy heffernan tommy the vet um, you, you're well aware of him but he's um using uh microbials uh, good bacteria for the for gut health in the calves and we've been using that very successfully uh, this spring as well and set your calf up to a good start in life they build a really good immune system and those calves in general don't have much of an issue later on in life. But I suppose 
one of the areas that I've noticed over the last couple of years is the, the cows that we've been only using uh, selective dry cow therapy on. Um, I do believe there's an improvement in the colostrum that's been used on their calves because there's no residue from any form of antibiotic in that uh, first feed. And that has to be, you know, massively important for, for gut health. And there's probably another Nuffield study in that for anyone if they're interested. But um, that's, I suppose, my my key areas and Roisin has covered all the rest of it. And and just to delve into that a little bit further. So so I suppose there's 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 two things there. And just to go back on the first thing, um, would would you selectively use um, colostrum from cows that had a sealer only in the autumn as opposed as opposed to ones with antibiotics for um, calves or, you know, is it are you just, I suppose, feeding the 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 calf their mother's colostrum? Uh, yeah, well, I suppose um, one of the key areas that the advice on, on giving the mother's colostrum to the calf would be around Yone's disease. Um, We've tested for yonis for the last uh, four years. We got involved in the pilot scheme with, um, with um, AHI. And fortunately, we have no yonis in the herd. So um, I would focus on, yeah, the the the, the calves, uh, the, especially the heifer calves getting colostrum that they're getting um, colostrum from cows that had selected dry cow therapy only, if at all possible. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting. I mean, it's, it's something I, I haven't heard um from a dairy farmer before but it's it's definitely something for people to consider as you say there there is a residue in in the colostrum of a cow who who received antibiotics in the previous lactation and then the second thing in terms of the microbes can you give us a little bit more detail about that Eamon? I suppose uh, Tommy Tommy Heffernan has been involved with um, vision farming um, where they've been they've been really advocating um, I suppose the use of Good, uh, good bacteria for the likes of the likes of calves and um, well, I suppose animals in general. So uh, one of the areas that um, we were focusing on this spring is all the calves uh, were getting um, this uh, good gut bacteria for the first uh, ten days of, of life, and um, I suppose it really it it left a great shine in calves you know now calf health has always been generally good on our farm here but i think that it definitely has helped you know there was no nutritional scours at any stage um even you know later on and i think that was you know it, it has it has a role to play if you think about the gut flora is so sensitive at a calf at that age you know it definitely um it has to be a big positive for them to uh, to set them out the right path so we were using we were using that in their milk for the first ten days, and uh, then also we were putting it in their feed uh, twice a week and thereafter. Um, it's not a big issue. I just had a pump on the top of the top of the drum, so uh, just um, put that into the into the into the calf feeders uh, as they were going. I think that's a, a really interesting um, point, Eamon. And, you know, you would have often um, heard of farmers going to the local supermarket and getting yogurt to mix it with milk, um, you know, to to feed to cows with scours. So, you know, if it's if that's a product that, you know, can promote um, healthy guts in young calves, as you say, it can have benefits across their their lifetime. 
I think we could uh, chat for another half an hour, um, but we'll wrap it up at this stage. This has been a hugely insightful conversation and I, I've learned a lot from the, the two of you. Um, I suppose just to, I suppose to, to make reference to a few things, uh, the MSD Herd Health vaccination calendar that you mentioned, Eamon, um, sounds like it could be hugely uh, useful for every dairy farmer. Um, we might link it to the show notes. Um, and as well, I'd make reference to Roshi you've created um, a very useful resource with some people in curriculum development um, James Marr and co um, about AMR on the Chagas website again we will link that I, th- I think it's it's um, hugely useful and finally then um, your own Nutfield Scholar um, report Eamon uh, thanks very much Roisin and Eamon thanks Emma Louise thanks very much that's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Roisin Horn and Eamon Sheehan for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify and for more information go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.